the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co-hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Mulhern, this is Global Denmark. All right, we are back. You ready, Ed? I feel ready. Well, guys, we just wrapped up our second roundtable discussion with Louisa Orbison, Dr. Ponima Luthra, and Sandy McKenzie. And I felt it went really well. Some really interesting points that came up. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was so much fun watching them all kind of bounce off each other and, and form new ideas during the podcast. I was a little bit too British and didn't really get to speak very much. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, I'm sure that was... Uh, a sign of the energy in the room. <laughs> I saw about eight times where you were about to open your mouth and it, it just didn't happen. Yeah, just know that I had questions, but they were answered by the people before I got to speak. Oh, was that what you were saying? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, um, you know, guys, we left off with our first roundtable with Klaus Lumbor, Chris Schoen, and Ketchy Orson, where we looked at trust, we looked at low power distance, we looked at the social welfare model as really positive things that Denmark could teach the rest of the world. And in round two here, we looked at Luisa's lesson, which was, again, low power distance. But this time it was an angle about how low power distance is not only a staple to Danish society, but it's also the key to the future of work and leadership. What did you think about that? I found it in- incredibly interesting. And, um, you know, having having never re- really experienced working in a Danish environment, I always find it kind of fascinating to, to hear about. But I do know, having worked closely with companies in the UK, where I will speak to people who haven't even met the boss or haven't even spoken to the boss, and the how accessible people are mm. to me in Denmark has just been a huge blessing being able to connect with so many people so quickly. Yeah, and I can really see how Denmark, uh, just by the nature of the society, where it's a trust-based society with the social welfare model, this low power distance, that they really are in great position for moving forward here. Whereas other more hierarchical societies are really going to have to rethink the whole way that the society and business are constructed in order to best position themselves for the ever-changing work market. Absolutely. I mean, as Louisa was saying, it's one of those things that wasn't an idea. It was just how Denmark kind of came to be and evolved. Work is just a side effect of how the society operates and always has operated mm-hmm. in general. So I don't think that companies are going to be quite so easily able to just say, oh, we're going to implement the Danish model here in America or here in the UK. It's a society-wide look that needs, needs to be made. Indeed. And what we can see is the challenge of exporting this is obviously that if you want low power distance, you have to have a trust-based organization. And trust doesn't just come overnight. It's built up over bid, 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 and receiving those bids over hundreds of years if we look at the Danish model. Yeah, absolutely. And and it comes back to some of those things that, that go into the school where the mm. children are encouraged to mm-hmm. call their teacher out because you, you don't call people out in the UK, for example. And that's one of the things that builds into trust is that well, you're going to have to do what you said you'd do because if you don't, I'm going to be over here going hey, you said you'd do something other than that, didn't you? I mean, it's it's unbelievable how we can see that everything flows from trust. 
And it seems like, oh, okay, that's a simple recipe, right? A lesson from Denmark to the world. But how do you build up trust systematically in a non-trusting environment? I guess that's a question that we can really dig into now going forward, because it seems like, how do you build up trust? Does it require a homogenous culture? Does it require a certain specific mindset? Or can you have a diverse coalition that can trust each other? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could say, does it start at home? Does it start at school? Does it start in the workplace? I mean, for me, the only way that it can start is with each individual that decides to start making promises to their children and and keeping them. And once Mm. every teacher and parent starts making promises and keeping them, that's when it should slowly start to sweep the whole society. Mm -hmm. Sandy McKenzie talked about in his lesson from Denmark to the world that although Denmark is a small country, they're punching above their weight. And he attributes this to having a definite identity. It made me think back to when we first talked to Rufus Gifford, actually. And he, he kind of echoed the same sentiment that although you're a small country, Denmark, you are so much bigger than that. And I think he was echoing that point in his lesson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't really comment to that from what I've seen other than to talk about global brands and having seen Danish brand everywhere and knowing what it is when I see it. And I guess that speaks to that that definite identity. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you see it in organizations too. The ability to move together, this cohesiveness, you know, if it's football or any sport too, we see it all the time that even if they have a lower payroll or if they have, you know, not nearly the top talent, but if they move as one, you start to do things that you probably shouldn't be able to do (laughs) with the collection of parts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the humility pays into into that a huge amount. You know, like you mentioned in sport, there's multiple illustrations of people uh, placing skill above habit and losing out or talent above habit, I should say. Mm. Skill is habit. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And... Here we go again, because the same lessons that are positive differentiators that Denmark can teach the rest of the world are potential roadblocks in terms of future growth and diversity and inclusion issues. If we look at, for example, Louise's lesson to Denmark from the world, she talks about Danes could be better at being open to something that is foreign to them, right? On the one hand, it, uh, it's beneficial to have a definite identity, but if that identity is somehow challenged... Danes, according to Louisa, herself a Dane, thinks that there can be some kind of mental block or some sort of blockage to not wanting that foreign idea or person or concept into the model, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think this speaks to one of our challenges as podcast hosts to extract from people, to to get people into a place where they're comfortable going, hey, let's... Let's criticize Denmark for a minute. I'm not criticizing you, the individual person, but let's actually pull out what the consistent cognitive biases are that are probably holding Denmark back. And Pornima touched on uh, a large cognitive bias that is making integration challenging. With 19,000 jobs heading over here in in the tech space in particular, integration is going to become more and more and more important in Denmark. And dusting over the issue to say, we can do it, I don't think is going to work. A system 
a new approach and awareness of that cognitive bias needs to happen. I think you're spot on with these cognitive biases, whether they're unconscious or semi-conscious, if you will. Pornima talked about a talent shortage that's coming and the completely changing job market, especially in the tech space and the STEM fields, and this need to bring in global talent. And we know that global talent, per definition, is foreign to the national system, right? So how do we, on the one hand, welcome the global talent that's necessary, but on the other hand, keep a definite identity and that trust in the low power systems? So we can see we've set up this equation. And I think it was, it was really interesting for me when I said, well, Louisa, what is something that is foreign for Danes? And she said, well, it's taking the first step. If we talk about networking or we talked about hygge, right? What is hygge? Oh, it's when it's predictable. It's when you're in your comfort zone. So we could see right away that there's something about what makes Denmark excel in a comfort, a certain way of doing things, a homogenous way of doing things. But on the other hand, with the changing global workforce, global work market, that model, it's not going to get the job done. What do you do with that? That's what we're trying <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> I'm glad that wasn't a directive in me. Rhetorical. 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 It's a... Uh... Certainly a big question. And, you know, I speak to leaders all the time, obviously, because I work with them. But, you know, express curiosity as a value. Curiosity um, is a value. But one of those feelings that they seldom get to experience because I'm having to do all of this difficult work and all of this safe stuff. So I don't get to necessarily apply my mm. curiosity. Whereas I think what I come from Bristol in the UK mm. and that daily curiosity is, is absolutely unavoidable because mm -hmm. I know that just when I go into a coffee shop three or four people are going to talk to me and start a conversation with me and yeah. that's going to happen everywhere I go I'm going to meet 10 15 20 new people every day and have a conversation every day maybe just for 30 seconds, maybe for five minutes, but I know that it's going to happen over and over and over and over and over again. I work in Scotland once a month and I go back there and it's like somebody's thrown a bucket of water over me because just all of a sudden I've got loads of people talking to me non-stop. Right. And that just doesn't happen in Denmark. I could walk from one end of the city to another without anyone speaking to me. Right. And, you know, so the baseline is that Danes in general are not going to take the first step. We had an argument about this on the podcast. Who should take the first step, right? We had that metaphor of, you know, uh, diversity is inviting everyone to the, to the party and inclusion is asking someone to dance. And it became a question, well, who's asking whom to dance here? To dance here. Yeah. To dance. To dance. <laughs> to dance. <laughs> and um, is the answer not that both global talent and Danes are asking each other in the perfect world? where it's not about one party having to take the onus, but it's about a mutual curiosity and a mutual vulnerability. Absolutely. But I don't think be unfair in saying that the person who feels most vulnerable already is the person that doesn't know anybody else at the party. Okay, let's put a flag in that. Let's talk about vulnerability. When someone is vulnerable coming into a foreign environment, what's happening there at the level of the brain in terms of their fight flight response in terms of how they perceive safety and what consequences might happen in terms of well the anterior cingular cortex is in the brain is really on high alert to judgment criticism and most importantly unmet expectations because they don't really know what to expect so this part of their brain part of the limbic system is on high alert and it's just getting ready 
but the slightest indication that they're not safe, not welcome, you know, the absence of eye contact might do it, looking away might do it, not saying hello first. So this isn't even at the conscious it. level at this point. Not at all, no, completely unconscious. And all it's going to require to flight, most likely, to just walk away from that situation is anything other than eye contact and a smile mm. and a hey, hello as kind of the third point of contact. But if the eye contact isn't there and the smile isn't there, already this person is going into a, a flight state. Unless they've landed in the country with this idea of, I know that it's difficult to come to Denmark and they won't say hello first. And, you know, so it's... If that's but that seems marketed, like a conscious process. Absolutely. What you're saying, this is hardwired into the brain at a deeper level before you can even make that... Absolutely, which is, which is why... There are so many expat bubbles here because the second somebody gets the smile and the eye contact reciprocated, they feel safe and they connect with and that the comfort person. bubble. Absolutely, but that's not integration, right? That's just no. Bubbles. That's that's segregation, and that's what we're seeing. Right? It's really fascinating. There is an onus then on those that are less vulnerable to be able to welcome through these micro uh, behaviors or signals. Those that are more vulnerable. In this case, that would be foreign people, foreign ideas. Most often, yeah. We've kind of identified then a something that's really interesting. And we see how it plays out in terms of Hugo, right? With Mike Viking. Hugo is intentional coziness, right? And the intentional part's the key here. Sure. Because it's predictability. It's comfort, right? But how can you market Hugo if then you're not welcoming others into the Hugo by being open it seems that you've kind of limited and that's what i said in the podcast you've limited the scale of what hygge can be absolutely it needs a it needs a redefinition a reshift so the flight response if we talk about flight in a business perspective we mean these daily interactions whether it's the employee the spouse the kids that little by little are creating this retreat oh, from so, absolutely. integration and therefore Retention, actually. Absolutely. I mean, fight, flight, freeze. They are they're animal things and we can see them, but we wrap human values around them as to what's socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable. So fight, you will often see as passive aggression and flight, you will see as arriving late for work, um, arriving late for meetings. Freeze, you'll just see as saying yes when you mean no and saying mm. no when you mean yes. And, and it is in the fight, flight or freeze responses that we see sickness and absence from work and stress. When we see back pain, when we see depression, depression is essentially the brain saying, I can't sustain all of these emotions. I'm going to need to cut them all off. It's a, it's a suppression of feelings. Right. And that we don't see a small amount of those things in Denmark, right? They're higher than many other countries that rank below them on right. happiness. Right. Or as might be being said, least unhappy. Least unhappy, yeah. Right. And you know, I think again, if we talk about, okay, how do we work with this then systematically? I think again, it starts with the parental child relationship and the teacher child relationship in schools, right? And it's, Sandy was talking about, we need to teach adaptability. We need to teach curiosity. We need to teach openness, a global perspective, right? To try to cultivate this mindset so that when the foreign person or the foreign idea inevitably comes because of the future of the economy, 
that that foreign entity is not met with these dismissive micro expressions, but rather an openness that can build the bridge of trust. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's important to know that, that these behaviours aren't intentional. They're just the, the flip side of all of the, the positive things. And, and uh, I think it's, it's important to, to look at those and go, okay, so what is the downside of, of humility? And what is the downside mm. of, I was going to say openness, but... Closeness. Closeness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, just, we have so much data, qualitative data here in terms of, on the one side, we have the beautiful Danish values. But we can see that the flip side of the same coin is a barrier to integration, to future innovation, the future of work. And really, we need to start extracting how we kind of thread the needle here. Because, I mean, that's what it's about, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like Denmark's the perfect country to do it. Because it's the one for raising your hand and saying, hey, this thing isn't quite right here and being listened to. That's right. It comes back to, again, how do you expand that, that village mentality where there's psychological safety within the village, there's critical inquiry within the village, there's trust within the village, there's low power distance within the village. How do you maintain these core values without alienating or closing yourself off to new diverse entities entering? Slowly. <laughs> it, is, it is slow actions of trust, though, right? Yeah. Trust doesn't, isn't built up overnight. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So who's asking to dance then? Is it the Dane or the global town? I'll dance with you, Tom. <laughs> I'm not Danish yet. Soon. Soon. Um, was there any other kind of takes there? I mean, we weaved in and out of different things. We, we touched at the end about this notion of secure attachment. Louisa brought it in right at the end in terms of that forming the basis of psychological safety. I thought, oh, there's a little nugget that came right at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, a, it's a subject that, that really fascinates me. And me uh, yeah, I think we definitely need to get uh, perhaps get Louisa back on. And she was saying about an expert that she was, uh, that she was reading from as well. But, um, you know, potentially there's, there's something to look at there in the, uh, the school model mm. or the, the model of return to work quickly and uh, that early child development right you know, that there's there's a lot of research saying that you know children need to have a loving connection with a parent yeah. right up to quite a, a late stage i know that um that you know below the age of six the brain just accepts all information about them as true and when mm. that information is given by people who aren't putting the importance of that one child above all else there's uh, you know there's things that can go wrong in, in the child brain starts to have maladaptations absolutely emotional numbing and, and things like that as, right. as they mature well that's something we can definitely come back to it's fascinating absolutely i think i think we've kind of focused into on this idea of psychological safety as kind of this if in our first 50 episodes we were able to extract trust I think as psychological safety as a foundation for creating trust and building that up with diverse entities, that's something I'd love to explore yeah, in our absolutely. future roundtables. And to be honest, I think it's all, all going to come back to skills. I think people have to be willing to, to teach themselves new skills and be willing to surround themselves with that diversity that can flag those um, cognitive biases that exist in every yeah. country, right? Right. So are you advocating then for cognitive biases training in the schools to kind of flag it as early as possible? 
Absolutely. And, and some of them, it just doesn't need doing, right? There are so many feedback loops, so many digital feedback loops these days that some children don't even need to be aware of cognitive biases in some areas because they're constantly getting feedback. Right. And looking out for that feedback is a, is a really it's a really important thing and rather than pointing out oh there's something wrong with this person that isn't like me because they're they've left the room seeing it as your own cognitive bias and going oh maybe mm. i've done something that's caused that mm -hmm. person to leave the room right <laughs> yeah <laughs> in, in, indeed so um i think that kind of wraps up our second round table and i can hear that one it's about a higher degree of empathy towards how vulnerable people from the out group when they're first coming into just micro expressions and what effect that can be. I think that's a great point. And maybe starting to work with cognitive biases at a very young age systematically. Like you talked about last time, start encouraging actually systematically going abroad for a year and just having that, what did you say, that mirror to and from your, your home culture? Um, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's so enlightening for me. Ultimately, I managed to make my way all the way to 37 without having done it. But um, but now <laughs> I've done it, it's just, I feel like it's the most rapidly self-transforming thing that, that you can do yeah. based on all of the stuff that I've done and none of the stuff that I haven't done, of course. Indeed. With the disclaimer there. A little bit of a juxtaposition. So guys, before we go here, Ed and I have a little announcement in terms of a, a really fascinating project that we stumbled upon and this is called the urban tech project ed do you want us to tell our audience a little bit about the urban tech project i want to do it justice so um urban tech is a non-equity pilot focused innovation program hosted here in denmark and the program works in tailored processes with growth stage startups creating solutions in urban tech technology so basically it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> it does, so it? We, we stumbled upon these guys because we were recording in Blocks Hub and they were at the Blocks Hub building. And we actually were invited to the inaugural demo days in November, December. We did some recordings at the, their demo day event for this Urban Tech, this Accelerator program. And we're going to be releasing some of the conversations we had over the next couple months. And we're really excited about it. We think this gives a different, unique and very focused look at the future of work and what's happening in Denmark and around the globe in this in this environment. Absolutely, really exciting, um, bringing, bringing startups from around the world and kind of helping them integrate in some way with Denmark and Danish companies. Right. And, and we got to enjoy the delights of Carlsberg while actually recording. We did, we thought new... it was apropos Absolutely. to enjoy the local beverage to give them a taste. <laughs> so maybe you'll be able to hear that in our quality of conversation. <laughs> But a lot of good stuff. We'll be doing that. We're coming out with more roundtables. But that's it for now. Any last thoughts, Ed? I know, if I know you I like was, when I do that. If I was playing a drinking game along with this podcast recording, right. I would make it how many times does Thomas name drop <laughs> and, and I'd be drunk. Yeah. Oh, I, I've been playing the whole time. <laughs> well, there you go. You have inspiration for a drinking game at home, guys. Perfect. And what is the illegal age here in Denmark? Is it 10 or 11? <laughs> no. But um, until next time, see you on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.